In Isaiah 61, Jesus declared that he had been sent to bring freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see his power to set free those that were imprisoned by their own sin and those that were oppressed by the sins of others. When Jesus died and rose again, he destroyed the power of sin once and for all, giving us free access to the love and power of God. In this Set Free series, we will provide the tools for each of us to identify the lies we have believed, to take hold of the truth that Jesus offers and learn to walk in the power of the Spirit. Jesus came to set us free from whatever stops us living in the fullness of God's love and power. Am I not pretty enough? Am, am I not pretty enough? Am I not smart enough? Am I not good enough? Am I not popular enough? Am I not talented enough? Am I not pretty enough? Now what's, what's wrong with me? Now, these are the questions that we ask ourselves when someone rejects us. And we all face rejection. Now, we all face rejection at, at some time in our lives, and rejection always hurts. It doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter how you've been rejected, but rejection always hurts. Because rejection, you know, it, it attacks our self-worth, it attacks, you know, how we feel about ourselves, how worthy we feel we are, and it attacks our very identity. It attacks who we are. Am I not pretty enough? Am I not good enough? Am I not smart enough? You know, rejection. We all face rejection at some time in our lives, and rejection always hurts. It always hurts. You know, some of us have been rejected in the workplace. You know, you've lost a job or you can't find a job. You've been overlooked for a promotion. You've been, uh, there's been prejudice against you because of your, your race or your religion or, or your gender. And you've asked yourselves, you know, some of these questions, what's wrong with me? Am I not good enough? Why does nobody want me? It hurts. Rejection always hurts. It's painful. Some of you have, have faced rejection by friends. You've been left out. You've been uninvited. You, you've been ignored. You've been defriended. You've been forgotten about. They've walked away from you in your, your time of greatest need. You've faced rejection from your friends and it hurts. It's painful. Some of you have been rejected in romance. You've been dropped by the one that you thought really was the one. 
and your heart still breaking. You've been brushed off. You've been discarded. You've been cheated on. You've been tossed aside. You've been traded in for a newer model. You've been rejected. And it hurts. It's painful. You ask yourself the question, am I not pretty enough? Am I not skinny enough? Am I not good enough? You know, we all face rejection. Some of you have felt the real pain of rejection from your own family. You know, you've had a parent walk out. You've had a parent that played favourites and it wasn't you. You've had, a, you've had a parent that just never gave you time, was never there for you. You know, you had a, had a, had a, had a parent that uh, just could never tell you that they loved you and that they were proud of you. You've been rejected by your own family. You've been disinherited. No love. You know, we all face rejection. All face rejection in different ways, and rejection always hurts. It always hurts. It attacks our identity, and it attacks our sense of, of worth, and it can leave rejection. Rejection can leave a deep wound in our soul if it's left unhealed. You know, when, when we feel pain in our body, we go to the doctor and the doctor will send you away for an x-ray and he'll take, you know, put the x-ray up on the screen and he'll have a, have a look inside you and he'll see, I can see what's broken. You know, I can see, you know, there's a, there's a broken rib there. It's no, it's no wonder that it hurts when you sneeze. Or, you know, I, I can see you've got a punctured lung. It's no wonder that you're struggling to breathe. Or I can see that you've got a ruptured spleen. It's no wonder that you're no longer conscious sitting in my waiting room. You know, I, I, he, he, can, he, looks, he looks inside of us and he can see the wound and he can see what's wrong and he can tell you how to fix it. He can explain all the symptoms and he can also tell you how this can get healed. Now, the wound of rejection, that there's no x-ray you can put on a screen. There's no doctor you can go to and he can kind of look inside of you and he can, he can point out the wound and he can say, this is why it hurts. But I tell you, the wound of rejection is just as painful. And there are symptoms that come with the wound of rejection. And you might not be able to see it on an x-ray, but right now some of you, if you're really honest with yourselves, would say, there is a wound inside of me. And no one can see it on the outside, and it's not going to show up on an x-ray, but I've been wounded by others that have rejected me, whether it's in your family, whether it's in romance, whether it's by your friends, whether it's in the workplace, there's a wound inside you. You see, we're rejection, we all face rejection, and rejection always hurts. But if that rejection is left undiagnosed and unhealed, it leaves a wound. And there's some really classic symptoms. I'm only just going to go through a few of these symptoms this morning. There's some really classic symptoms of the wound of rejection. Now, one of the symptoms of the, of the wound of rejection is that causes you to measure and compare yourselves to others to determine your worth. You see, when rejection has, has wounded your sense of worth and your sense of identity, 
We, we measure and compare ourselves to others to determine our worth. You see, deep in the wound of rejection is this belief that you don't measure up. You don't measure up. I am not pretty enough. I am not smart enough. I am not skinny enough. I am not good enough. And that's why I've been rejected. And so we spend our lives trying to fight this wound within us, trying to prove our worth, trying to prove that that we're okay. And we do it by measuring ourselves against others and comparing ourselves to others to determine our worth. Let me give you just a little bit of an example. I'm going to invite uh, Jason Fittis, our uh, campus pastor, to come up and, uh, and join me this morning. And so when we're wounded with rejection, you know, we, uh, we, we, we go through this game of measuring and comparing ourselves to others to kind of see, you know, where we, where we fit, you know, on the scale. And so we ask ourselves the question, you know, am I not pretty enough? And, and we, we measure ourselves against others. And so I did a little, a little uh, straw poll during the week for me and Jace, and I said, who's, who's prettier? Between, between Jason and myself. And, and, and it came back that they reckon Jason actually scores in the look scale, you know, a seven out of ten. And, and I got, across the whole office, I got scored a two. And that included Susan giving me a six and a half. And so, and so I look, I, I, I look at others and I compare myself to others to, you know, kind of to determine whether I can feel good about myself or not. And in this case, with, with Jace hanging around, you know, I don't feel good about myself. So from now on, I'm just finding ugly campus pastors to join the team so I can feel good about myself. And then others, we, we measure ourselves to determine, you know, whether we're smarter than others. <laughs> Jason's a Kiwi. <laughs> he doesn't even know how to say fish and chips. He can't count to six. And I'm smart enough not to let him have a mic for this section. I've given myself an eight, so compared to Jace, I'm a rocket scientist. And I feel good about myself. Yeah, you know, there's other questions that we ask ourselves. Am I not skinny enough? Unfortunately, we've got some objective data for this one. People often say to me, geez, you and Jason look alike. And I think, oh, I can't see it. I need a spray tan and I need to lose about 15 kilos to look anything like this bloke. You know, he's, he's far skinnier than me. And so I kind of I look at him and compare myself and I'm starving myself, you know, to try and, you know, look as good as this guy. That's not true. But... Um, you know, kind of, we, we compare ourselves on a scale to, you know, we live in this culture today that says it's all about the way you look. It's all about, you know, how good your body is to determine, you know, you know, how good you should feel about yourself. You know, am I not popular enough? Jace, Jace, just tell me, how many friends do you have on Facebook? Uh, a thousand. <laughs> 
A thousand friends on Facebook. How many followers on Instagram? Maybe a thousand again. A thousand fo- What, Twitter? Yeah, about a thousand. Another, another thousand. This guy is a social media tart, right? He's got, he's got friends coming out our ears. I got zero friends on Facebook. I got zero followers on Instagram. And I got zero tweeters on Twitter. And, uh, you know, compared to Jason, you know, everyone loves this guy. Nobody wants to talk to me. I got no friends. And so I look at someone like Jace and I just don't measure up. Lastly, and this is really important in the way that we see ourselves before God. We ask ourselves a question, am I not good enough? Am I not good enough to deserve God's love? Where do I measure myself on a scale of goodness? Now, for this one, I, I went and asked our wives, Angela and Susan. Turns out, Jace, you've been a very naughty boy this week. <laughs> Angela gave you a three, and Susan gave me a 4.2. But, but see, we all, we're all, you know, jokes aside, we're, we're all kind of doing this a little bit before God. You know, where do I stand on the scale of goodness? And therefore, how does God feel about me, depending on how good I've been in any one period of time? Now, this morning, where would you put yourself on this scale? You're going to give yourself a two or an eight or a six? You know, when we live with the wound of rejection... We measure out and compare ourselves to others to determine our worth, determine what we deserve, to determine why or why not we're loved. How are you measuring yourself and comparing yourself to others? Is there a wound of rejection within you? Just thank uh, Jace for me this morning. Yeah, one of the classic symptoms of the wound of rejection is that we measure and we compare ourselves to determine our worth. Secondly, you know, we isolate ourselves from intimacy. The wound of rejection isolates you from intimacy. If you're living with a wound of rejection that's left unhealed, you build walls of protection around yourself to protect yourself from further pain. You've been, you've people have, who, who should have loved you in the past have rejected you, so I'm not going to let anyone come close to me again. And so we kind of build this wall, we'll kind of let people come to a certain distance, but I'm putting a wall around myself and there's only so close that you can come. And we, depending on how, how deep the wound of rejection is within us as to how much we'll actually isolate ourselves from intimacy. And you might be surrounded by people, you might even be surrounded by people that love you, but you've built walls around you to keep them at a distance, walls to protect you from pain. The problem is it also isolates you from intimacy, which is the very thing you crave, causing you more pain. Thirdly, we pass on the pain contagiously. 
When we've got a wound of rejection, we pass on the pain contagiously. There's some diseases. When we get a disease, we actually isolate ourselves from others so that we don't pass it on because it's so contagious. The problem with the wound of rejection is we build walls around ourselves. We isolate ourselves from others so that we don't reject it again and don't feel more pain. But, but, But what do we do? When someone who's rejected and we're isolating ourselves from intimacy, we're building walls around ourselves, what do we do to other people that are trying to love us? We reject them. And the very thing that we don't want for ourselves, we do to others. Consciously or subconsciously. And especially to our kids. This is one of these things that just gets passed on from generation to generation to generation, often unconsciously. But the very protection mechanism to protect us from further pain isolates us from intimacy and actually passes on the pain of rejection to others contagiously. And the wound of rejection worsens when it's self-medicated. You see, rejection is painful and it can, feel, it can seem difficult to deal with, so we self-medicate to alleviate the pain. You see, I avoid dentists at all costs. They are evil, evil people. You know, when I, when I get a toothache, I self-medicate with a cocktail of Panadol, Nurofen, and occasionally kicking the dog. And, and you can live on that cocktail of self-medication for the rest of your life to mask the pain. But it never deals with the root cause of the pain. And you can self-medicate rejection. You can self-medicate rejection with a cocktail of alcohol, drugs, porn, food, whatever you like, or more socially acceptable ways. You see, particularly in the church, we find more socially acceptable ways of self-medicating our rejection. We do it in work and busyness and success. And you see, the longer we self-medicate, the worse my teeth get. And the longer we self-medicate rejection, the deeper rejection gets. It actually becomes who we are. And so we walk around with this performance mindset, always just trying to do a little bit better to move up the scale, to see ourselves you know, a little bit better compared to others. It's one of the ways that it happens. We get into this performance mindset. The more I do, the more I'll be loved. The more I'll be appreciated, the more worthy I'll be. Or others just walk around with a big chip on their shoulder. It's kind of like, you know, I'm a victim, I'll always be a victim and blaming others for things that don't go right. See, when we're living with a wound of rejection, it causes you to measure and compare yourself to others. It isolates you from intimacy, passes on the pain contagiously. It worsens when self-medicated and lastly, and I think probably most importantly... So I think this is where a whole bunch of the other things stem from. It limits your ability to receive love from God. When you're living with a wound of rejection, it limits your ability to receive love from God. Rejection tells us I'm not good enough, I am inferior, I am unwanted, I am unlovable. And when you start to believe that about yourself, it becomes increasingly difficult to receive love from anyone, including God. You see, rejection is one of the most common tools the devil uses to put limits on our relationship with God. When we're rejected, when we're living with the wound of rejection, we limit in our own mind what God would want to give us. 
depending on you know, where we feel we, we kind of stand on this goodness scale as to where we think we stand on the scale of the way God feels about us and the way God would want to give us good things. And it's not because God has any limits to his love for you. But, but, but rejection causes you put, to put these self-imposed limits on God. Rejection actually becomes like a stronghold, something powerful within you that the em- enemy uses to keep you at a distance from God. We all face rejection, and rejection always hurts. But it doesn't have to leave a lasting wound. That's the good news this morning. We all face rejection. It's part of this life. You will face rejection if you haven't already. And rejection will always hurt. You're not human if it doesn't hurt. But it doesn't have to leave a lasting wound. That's the good news. It's important to to be able to understand the wound. It's important to be able to diagnose the wound. It's important to be able to see these things in ourselves that need to be dealt with. But looking at the wound and understanding the wound won't actually heal you. We need to go to someone who can actually heal us, who can deal with that wound within us. And it's not a doctor because it won't show up on an x-ray. And it's not a dentist because they are evil, evil people. But, you know, there is one. There is one that we can go to who actually can deal with the wound of rejection. We've been saying over the last two weeks that Jesus came to set us free from whatever stops us living in the fullness of God's love and power. You know, God saw this this wound that his people were living with and he sent his son to earth to die for us, to die in a place, in, in, in our place, so that, so that our sins could be forgiven. When he saw that we weren't good enough, that our sins could be forgiven and we could come into the fullness of God's loving presence. That's the good news of Jesus. Jesus has come to set you free from the wound of rejection. So you can live in the fullness of God's love and power. I want to read a story this morning that shows his heart for every one of us just by looking at the story with one woman. And I, and I want to look at uh, in, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ the way that all of us right now today and every day can be set free from the wound of rejection. Firstly, turn with me to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. It says, uh, says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, if Jesus were a prophet if he was from God he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner you see Jesus invited to eat with a religious leader named Simon really good guy guy had spent his whole life trying to follow God's laws 
and an uninvited woman. This is very important. Simon hadn't invited this woman. The way they ate in the courtyards they ate in in those days, there was, there was space for, uh, for people to come in and they were supposed to leave space for pe- the poor to come in and to be able to eat the scraps and the leftovers. This woman was an uninvited woman. She was an uninvited woman who'd lived a sinful life. And she comes in, instead of just eating the scraps, goes straight to the, 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 uh, the guest of honor. Goes straight to the man of God, just starts weeping and crying over his feet and anointing his feet with expensive perfume. And Simon, the religious guy, the good guy, you know, he knows her reputation. And what he expected Jesus to do was to reject her. Simon's not in his head going, she's not pretty enough. There's every chance she was very pretty. That wasn't the problem. Simon in his head's going, she's not good enough. She's not good enough to come close. She's not good enough to sit at my table. And she's not good enough to come close to the man of God. That was Simon's worldview. That was Simon's religion. She is not good enough. She is not worthy enough. She doesn't measure up. And if Jesus really was a prophet, if Jesus really was the Son of God, he would know how unworthy she is. He, he would know, you know how far down the scale she is and he would reject her. If he really was the Son of God, he would not let her come close to him. That's what religion does. You see, religion measures and it rejects. Religion says you, you, kinda, you haven't measured up, therefore you reject it. Religion measures and rejects sinners. It says you don't measure up and until you do, you can keep a distance. Religion says you don't measure up and you have to do better. You have to do better. You have to kind of work your way along the scale and do better. And until you measure up, you won't be accepted. That's what all religion says. Until you measure up, until you do better, you won't be accepted and you can keep your distance. You know, I got, uh, I got three daughters. As they've been growing up in their teenage years, I've taught them to push boys away. Keep them at a distance. Just push them away. Keep them at a distance. But, you know, they're getting to an age where they're starting to want to let them come close. And so as a father, it's my right and my responsibility to measure them up and just kind of determine whether they should be allowed, you know, to come close, whether my daughters should accept or reject, whether they should let them come close or just keep pushing them away. Just uh, during the week, I, uh, and, and, and kind of, you know, just like in religion, you got to jump through a whole bunch of hoops. You know, in my family, I want some hoops these boys have got to jump through. And, uh, and so my, my daughter's got a boyfriend at, at the moment, and just during the week, we, uh, our, our water pipe, our mains water to our house burst. And I'm there, there on Thursday night or Wednesday night, whatever night it was, digging holes in the mud looking for this thing. I, uh, I couldn't find it. And my daughter's boyfriend put up his hand and said, I'll dig the hole if you like. I'll fix the water main. I said, okay. <laughs> this is what I came home to on Friday afternoon in, uh, in my backyard. 
one and a half metres deep that water main was. He dug for seven hours and then crawled down the hole and fixed it. I said to my daughter, Caitlin, you can keep him. He comes in handy. He's jumped through enough hoops now. He's proved his worth. He was a two, he's now a three. He's, he's walking his way up the scale. You can let him come a little bit closer. That's what religion does. It measures what you do. There's hoops for you to jump through. You, you kind of, you do the right works, you wear the right clothes, you pray three times a day, then you'll be accepted. And every religion has a different list. Some have got to wear special undies and others wear no undies. Anyone here having a no undie Sunday? Just put your hand up. But it's true. There's all sorts of different rules, things you've got to wear, things you've got to say to be accepted. But the basis of all religion is the same. You've got to do better to measure up to God's standards, then you'll be accepted. Now, the problem with religion is we never know quite where we are on the scale. We never know whether we've been quite good enough, smart enough. We never know whether we've done enough. So you never really know whether you measure up and you're accepted or you've come up short and you're going to be rejected. You see, religion has no guarantee of acceptance. Religion always measures and rejects the sinner. But this is good news, people. Jesus didn't come to enforce a new religion. He didn't. If you thought that he did, he didn't. Jesus didn't come to enforce a new religion. Jesus came to invite us into a new relationship. That's the message of Jesus. He came to invite us into a new loving relationship with our Heavenly Father that we just sung about this morning. You see, see, God knows that we don't measure up. He knows that we don't measure up to his standards. He knows we're never going to make it. He knows that we're never going to be good enough. That's why he sent his son Jesus to earth. Because we were never going to measure up. Jesus came from heaven to earth to forgive your sins. Sins mean, sin means you miss the mark. You don't measure up. He came to forgive our sins and to make us acceptable to God. To be able to receive God's love, to live in the fullness of God's love. Let me just read a bit more of that story. It said, Jesus answered Simon and said, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him, five, owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus. Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus tells this story, you know, two people owed a debt. You know, one, one a big debt, the other a small debt. Both debts get forgiven. Who's going to love the most? Of course, the one who's been forgiven the most. It's two people in this story with Jesus. 
There's a woman weeping at Jesus' feet. She knows she's a sinner. She knows she's a one out of ten. Everybody knows she's a one out of ten. She's got a reputation in the village. Sinful woman. Bad woman. She knows her sins are many. But she's received forgiveness from Jesus and it's transformed her life and there's this incredible outpouring of love. Just pours out her love upon Jesus. Because she knows she's, been, she's a one out of ten and she's been forgiven much. Now Simon, on the other hand, he kind of thinks he's up this end of the scale. He, he might even be a nine. He's been a good guy. He, he's followed God's laws to the best of his ability. He's kind of close to God. He's, he should be allowed to come close to God. Where the woman who's a one out of ten, she shouldn't be coming anywhere near Jesus. Simon, as far as he's concerned, he deserved to be sitting at the seat next to Jesus. See, he'd done everything to make him worthy in his own eyes of sitting right next to Jesus at that seat. He didn't need too many sins to be forgiven. He's a good guy. See, religion measures and it rejects the sinner. Jesus forgives and invites the rejected. This is good news for all of us. Where religion measures and rejects the sinner, Jesus forgives the sinner and invites the rejected. You know, this woman might not have been invited to Simon's party, but Jesus invites her to heaven. You know, Jesus invites her to, to spend all of eternity in the loving arms of God. And this morning, you might have been rejected. You might have been uninvited. You might have been treated as undesired. You might have been unloved, unwanted by others. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, invites you into an eternal relationship of love with our Heavenly Father. You just have to decide if you're going to accept his invitation, like the woman at Jesus' feet who knew she was a one out of ten, or whether you're going to reject his invitation, you know, thinking like Simon that you're a nine out of ten. Which is it going to be? You're going to accept the love and grace of God poured out for you in Jesus Christ? Or are you going to reject you're going to go like Simon and just keep measuring and comparing yourself to others, hoping that you're good enough. The end of this story, verse 50, it says, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It has nothing to do with what she'd done, but absolutely everything to do with what, what, with what Jesus has done. You know, the same is true for all of us. You know, the, the, the way that, that, that we are, are seen by God, the way that we are set free from sin, the way that we are, you know, forgiven of our sin has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. Now, this is the hard bit of the message, okay? This is the hard bit of the message. If you reject the forgiveness that Jesus offers you, you will be rejected by God. That's the hard bit of the message. 
Because God has only provided one way for your sins to be forgiven. The reason he sent his son Jesus to earth was because he knew every single one of us would never measure up to God's standards. And so he sent his son to die on a cross to forgive all of our falling short, everything that we did not to measure up. And it's the only way that we can come to God and receive his forgiveness and live in his love. There is no other way. So if you reject the forgiveness that Jesus offers you on the cross, you will be rejected by God. But if you've received the forgiveness that Jesus offers you on the cross, you are already accepted by God. Guaranteed. You're already accepted by God. You see, Jesus came to set you free from sin. Jesus came to set you free from the wound of rejection. And if you're going to be set free from the wound of rejection, you need to identify the lie that you're living by. You see, rejection leaves a lasting wound. And if you just keep looking at the wound and you keep remembering what caused the wound, you remember the actions of the people that have rejected you. You remember the words that have been spoken over to you by those that have rejected you. You know, those words and those actions will just continue to fill your heart and your mind. And they'll become more and more a part of who you are and just the way that you live. And you begin to believe, I am not pretty enough. I am not good enough. I am not smart enough. I am unwanted. I am undesirable. I am unlovable. And you see, when you believe those words about yourself, you begin to live according to those words. You'll measure and you compare yourself with others to determine your worth and limit the love that you can receive from God. Now, the words are a lie. They're a lie. But the longer you listen to the lie, the longer you'll live with the wound of rejection. Now, some of you have been listening to those words and looking back to those actions of rejection for a long time. And it's time to be set free. It's time to be set free. Some of you this morning have just not even recognized how much those lies from the past have impacted you. But you know that words and actions, that words that have been spoken over you and actions that, that, that have, been, have come towards you have impacted, have put limits, self-imposed limits on the love that God would have for you. You see, we all face rejection. Rejection always hurts, but it doesn't have to leave a lasting wound. Firstly, we've got to identify the lie, identify those words, those actions that have been spoken over us, done to us, that have, that have, have uh, helped us to, to form an identity that's not who God's called us to be. And secondly, we've got to take hold of the tr- truth. You see, rejection tells you you don't measure up and there's a limit to the love that you can receive from God. But the truth is there is no limit to the love you can receive from God. On the cross, Jesus put to death anything that once limited the love that you can receive from God. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays this. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be fulfilled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Because of what Christ has done, you, you, you can have the full measure of God's love. Not because you've done anything to measure up, but because of what Christ has done on the cross has been enough, is all that you need to receive the fullness of God's love. You see, if you want to measure God's love for you, you know, don't, don't look at yourself and compare yourself to others and kind of determine where you are on this scale and therefore how much love God would want to give you. And certainly don't look at the words of, and the actions of others. Don't listen to the words of those who've rejected you and the actions of those who've rejected you who've made you feel like a two or a three. You know, don't, don't look at anything that you've done or anything that others have done to try and measure the love that God has for you. There is only one place to look to measure the love that God has for you, and that is to the cross. You see, it's at the cross that we see how much God loves us. We see the height of God's love, that he would come from heaven to earth. We see, we see the length of God's love, the length that he would go to, that, that he would willingly go to a cross to take your sins upon himself so that you could be forgiven. And his hands would be stretched out wide. That is the width of his love and the depths of his love, that he would go not just into humanity, not just into our sinful humanity, but he would go into the very depths of hell, that he would be separated from his father so that you will never have to be again. If you want to measure how God feels about you, don't measure yourself according to goodness, according to what others have said and done. Have a look to the cross. This is the measure of God's love for you in Christ. He has filled you to all the fullness of God's love. That is the message. We don't have to live with this wound of rejection. We all Face rejection or rejection hurts, but it doesn't have to leave a lasting wound. Let me just read one verse to you. Ephesians 1.4, take a hold of this. Even before he made the world, God loved you. You get that? Even before he made the world, God loved you and he chose you. This is not some random accident that you're here in this room. It's not some random accident that you've put your faith in Christ. He chose you. He chose you in Christ to be holy and blameless or holy and without fault in his eyes. Even before he made the world, God loved you and he chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's the truth you've got to take hold of. You've got to identify the lie that's been spoken over you. Take hold of the truth of who you are in Christ, that you are loved before the beginning of time. God had your picture on the wall. He chose you in Christ. He chose you to hear the message of salvation and to put your faith in Christ, that you would be made holy. Anything that you've done that would mean you wouldn't measure up in the past, you know, and it's all been washed away. You've been set free and you can stand before God covered in the blood of Christ without fault, blameless in his sight. That's how you deal with the wound of rejection. You take hold of the truth of who you are in Christ. Identify the lie 
take hold of the truth. Walk in the Spirit. Now, for some of you, it's, you've faced horrendous rejection. You, you've been treated like garbage and left on the side of the road and it really hurts. Others, you, that hasn't been your journey. It's just been this nagging little thing inside you and you just keep measuring yourself to determine you know, where you sit on God's scale and what he'd want to give you. But for some of us, it's hard to imagine being free from the wound of rejection because it's just kind of, it's either had a big power over you for a long time or it's been this nagging little thing within you for a long time. But if you ask him, God will fill you with his spirit every day. Every day. He'll fill you with a full measure of his love and his power. And he'll empower you to stay free. And so every day when those thoughts and those words of rejection come to you, words that others have spoken to you, 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 kind, of, you kind of see the actions that you've received and you kind of look at that wound, the Spirit will keep reminding you and prompting you to take hold of the truth of who you are in Christ, to get free and to stay free. You see, we all face rejection, and rejection always hurts, but it doesn't have to leave a lasting wound. We've got a Saviour who understands rejection. He, he felt the pain of rejection, you know, throughout his life. In, in Luke chapter 4, when he announced that he had come to set people free in his hometown of Nazareth, what did they do? They took him out of the synagogue and tried to throw him off a cliff. He was rejected in his hometown. You know, in John chapter, John chapter 7, we see, you know, Jesus' own family kind of didn't believe in him, didn't believe in what he was doing. He was rejected, you know, by his own family. We see in, in John 6, you know, the people were following him when he did a whole bunch of cool tricks, you know, when he was, he was uh, making bread and, 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 uh, and fish appear. People were following him. They were flocking to him. As soon as he starts to teach them hard teachings about what it means to actually follow me and to live a Christ-honoring uh, life, it says people just rejected him. They fled. Now, Jesus has faced rejection all through his life. He understands your situation. In his moment of greatest need, when he, when he really needed his friends the most, on the last night of his life, knowing that he was going to the cross, he was rejected by those who were closest to him, those that he'd poured his life into for the last three years. You know, Judas sells him for 30 pieces of silver. He says, that's all you're worth, Jesus, 30 pieces of silver. You know, Peter is his best mate. You know, he says, I, I don't even know who that bloke is. He was rejected by those closest to him in his time of greatest need. You know, see, we have a Savior who understands the pain of rejection. He knows how to minister to us, you know, by his Spirit today to that wound that's within us. But then that, that unthinkable moment as Jesus hangs on that cross. For, for your sins and my sins. And he cries out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, we will never fully understand to heaven what that moment was like 
but he was felt forsaken. He felt abandoned. He felt rejected by his father. And he cries out in absolute agony like he'd never experienced before. And he was separated from his father's love in a way he'd never experienced before so that you will never have to be separated from your father's love ever again. You see, we have a savior who gets rejection and he can minister to the wound within us today. Because of what he's done on the cross, you will never, ever be abandoned by God. You'll never be forsaken by God. You'll never be rejected by God. You simply, like this woman in the story, have to accept that loving grace by faith. He says, it's your faith that saved you. Do you have to work for it? Do you have to work your way along a scale? No. Do you have to accept it by faith? Yes. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now this morning. I'm just going to ask everyone's eyes to close, heads to bow. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning. If you haven't yet accepted Jesus' offer of forgiveness, his offer of extravagant love and grace, if you haven't asked him to forgive your sins on the cross so that you can uh, be free to live in the fullness of God's love, just while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, I'm going to ask you just to, uh, to say, I want that today. Say, I want to pray that prayer today. If that's you today, and you just say, I want to know Jesus' forgiveness. I want my many sins to be forgiven today. Can I just get you just to raise your hand? Just while every eye is closed and heads bowed, just raise your hand and say, that's me. If anyone this morning just want to pray that prayer, bless you. That's cool. Who else just wants to pray that prayer? You want your, to know that your sins are forgiven today, that you are free to live in the fullness of God's love. Who else today just needs to pray that prayer? Bless you. That's awesome. See that hand. Who else this morning? You just say, that's you. That's you. You want to pray that prayer with me today? You want to know God's forgiveness in your life, your sins washed away. That's cool. If that's you, just pray with me this morning. Father God, thank you for your extravagant love for me. I'm sorry for the way that I've sinned against you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. I ask today that you would forgive my sin. And I choose to follow you as Lord and Saviour from this day forward. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we just put our hands together uh, for those people today? Can I encourage you today, if that's you, to... uh, to just uh, head to our welcome lounge. Just let us know that you've made that decision today. We'd, uh, we'd love to give you a Bible, help you get started in, uh, in that journey today. It's the best decision that you'll ever make. Can I ask the rest of us just to stand this morning? I, I want us to finish this morning by declaring, declaring the truth of who we are in Christ. Some words are just going to come up on the screen. They're, they're words that we need to take hold of this morning. 
this word declaration of uh, who we are because we are in Christ, because, uh, because of what Christ has done for us. These things are true. This is the truth we need to take hold of. This is the, the truth that, that will heal us of the, the, the wound of rejection that's within us. It's not looking at the wound and understanding how much people have hurt us that's going to set us free. It's looking to Jesus and what he's done for us that he's going to heal us and set us free. We're just going to sing an old song this morning which just says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. The more we look at our wound, the more we feel the pain of rejection. The more we look to Jesus, the more we can be healed of the wound of rejection. This morning, if in any way you just say, you know, at times I feel like I don't measure up. I've limited what God might want to give me. I'm just going to invite you to come down because I believe it's important this morning to declare these truths together. Just out loud, just together say, this is true. I am a child of God. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I am forgiven of my sins. Just this morning, if you want to take your eyes off rejection, you want to take your eyes off comparing yourselves to others and you want to look to Jesus and just make this declaration of faith this morning, just as we sing this song, can I ask you just to come, just fill this space out the front. We're just going to read out these truths together. Just, Just come. Come on, start to come. Start to come. I believe Jesus just wanted to set people free this morning. Before we read this, some others just need to come out this morning just to, to make these declarations together. Just come. You just say, this is, this is what I want to take hold of this morning. Just, just keep coming. I'm just going to give you just a few more seconds uh, to come and to, uh, we're going to stand together as a community and we're just going to read out these declarations of who we are in Christ, where rejection has robbed us of worth and identity. We're going to declare together of the truth of who we are in Christ. Just, just, just keep coming, just, just for a few seconds. Hey, let's, uh, let's just all together this morning as a church. Just uh, if you believe these things, if you put your faith in Christ, these things are all true about you. They actually just come from one and a half chapters of the Bible. There's lots of other things that are true. But just in the first one and a half chapters of, cha- of the book of Ephesians, this is what it says about who we are in Christ. Can I encourage us, big loud voice this morning, just to declare these together. I'm going to come down uh, here and be part of uh, this, but just one at a time. Out loud together. Let's read it together. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen by God before the creation of the world. I am holy and without fault in God's sight. I am adopted into the family of God. I am a child of God. I am redeemed by the blood of Christ. I am forgiven of my sins. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am guaranteed a place in heaven. I am filled with the power of God. I am loved by God. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am saved by grace. I am God's masterpiece. You believe that this morning? You're going to take hold of that this morning? Thank you, Jesus, this morning. 
Hey, as we uh, finish, I just love to pray. Get our prayer team, our pastoral team down the front. We just love to pray for you this morning as you uh, take a hold of these truths that every day we'd know the power of the Spirit. Just start to come. If you're on our prayer team, our pastoral team, and just uh, just begin to pray. Can we just sing that uh, chorus just one more time, Marcus?